The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's the PFT PM Podcast for Tuesday, August 28. We're trying something a little bit different. I don't know whether I like it or not, but... It was my idea, so I guess I have to at least try it. We're going to do this thing on camera now, not necessarily all the time and not necessarily in the same spot that we do PFT Live. We may create some separate venue, maybe down in the barn, maybe in my office. Maybe there'll be a new set that we create here. I actually have something on the other side of where I sit here every day for PFT Live. But for now, the set's here. I like this set better than the one that we have on the other side of the camera. You may remember it. It's got that really bright blue. We used to use it for the afternoon show. So for now, it's this. Every day that I decide to come up here and babble about whatever, or ideally have extended conversations, not interviews, conversations, discussions with people who are in a position to help us better understand football or some aspect of football or in the case of the one we're doing Friday with Mark Leibovich, the author of Big Game, the NFL in Dangerous Times, a look at what goes on behind the curtain. And I've read that book. I've got one more chapter to go. I read very, very slowly, and I don't know why that is. I think I got over that kick of repeating with my mouth everything I read. I think I've gotten past that. I remember struggling with that in the second grade. But for whatever reason, I don't read as fast as maybe I could. But I am almost done, and I've enjoyed it, and I'm going to write some stuff at PFT about some of the stories that Leibovich has mined from the NFL, things that I kind of knew, kind of sensed, but colorful stories, examples, incidents that really bring to life the way the NFL works. And that's the one thing about Leibovich's book. I I don't have any big takeaway from it other than it's accurate. It's an accurate portrayal of what really does go on, and it's about time somebody put it all together in a way that people can read it and say, oh, my God, is that really the way the NFL is? And the answer is, well, yeah, that's that's the way it is. Here's the way it is for the New York Giants. They have Odell Beckham Jr. under contract. And Peter King made a plea today on PFT Live, and I support him, and I've tried over the years, especially in recent years, to – Focus when reporting on contract values to not fall for the new money banana in the tailpipe. The idea that the remainder of the current contract doesn't count, that in some way there's a magical new contract that is physically appended to the existing deal. That's not how it works, folks. It's not how it works. It's not one more year for Odo Beckham Jr. at $8.459 million, then magically a new five-year, $90 million deal kicks in. That's not how it works. And even if it did, it's still six years, $98.459. But it's not an extension. It's a new contract, six years, $98.459. That's what it is. And why can't we just call it what it is, right? Why can't we just say it's a six-year contract. It's worth $98.459. Here's why this happens. Because the agents who inevitably leak the numbers want the better numbers out there. So when they decide who in the media they're going to give the numbers to, they want a friendly ear that is going to parrot exactly what the agent wants. That's how it works. And sometimes what will happen is the reporter will first push the phony number and then follow up and say, oh, by the way, here's the real number. But I think that we need to be on, at a minimum, both tracks simultaneously. I don't think it's good enough to say, oh, it's a five-year, $95 million contract, and then five minutes later, actually, it's five years, 90, and then five minutes later, actually, well, you know, it's six years, 98.459. I think from the moment the reports initially are propagated, it has to be new money, analysis plus total value and it's not that hard reporters it's basic math it's math that even i can figure out spotrack.com that has the current 
remaining salary for every player. It's very accurate. It's very good. I highly recommend it. I used to have to fish around for these numbers. Now it's right there. And you can get a lot of the salary information at NFLPA.com if you have a media account there that doesn't cover roster bonuses, etc. Typically what happens, though, by the time you're extending a contract, you're down to salary. All the other things are gone. Now, sometimes there's per-game roster bonuses. Sometimes there's a, a roster bonus that still needs to be paid. But for the most part, it's typically salary. And for a guy in the fifth year of his contract, first-round rookie deal, it's just salary. So it's easy to find these numbers. So don't tell me you don't know. Or Google it. Because inevitably, when there's a guy who is closing in on a big deal and it's a big-name player, you will find very quickly what he was due to make this year because every news story about his contract will mention he's due to make $8.459 million this year, just like Aaron Donald is $6.852, I believe, and Khalil Mack is $13.846. You get to the point where you know these numbers. Le'Veon Bell, 14.54. If you read it and write it and talk about it enough times, it sinks in. That tells me it's available. So don't play dumb. Don't be dumb. And don't be so beholden to your sources that you can't be honest with your audience. I think your primary duty is to your audience. And I know that part of the rules of Scoop Town is you have to do... That wasn't a very good conjugation... Part of the rules of Scoop Town is, or part of the rules of Scoop Town are. Whatever. Who gives a shit? Part of the rules of this game are you can't say anything to placate or not placate. Opposite of that. Alienate. Got it. Your source. And you don't want to be the one who's telling the truth about the BS that's being pushed to you by the agent because then you're off the list or you're on the list. Whatever's bad, that's what you are. And it's bad for the audience to have people who will just rush to push the numbers the real numbers and part of the problem frankly and I never I you know when I, when we decided to do this on camera it's like am I still going to be able to be as loose as I am with this thing that's one of my concerns because I want to be able to to just kind of say whatever I think regardless of what the format is and now I've lost my train of thought one of the problems is the producers and the editors who are pushing the reporters because they just want to be able to say, oh, good job. You, you got this one before everyone else. You get a gold star. There's so much of that that goes on. So many of the people who are chasing news in the NFL are having their, their strings pulled by a producer or an editor who sees it as their duty to encourage them to get the absolute most scoop that they can. And I think the ultimate duty is to be honest with the audience. And if you're getting scoop at the expense of being honest with the audience, you're, you're not doing your job. That's my pontification on that point for today. OBJ says he wants to become legendary. My goal has always been to be in the Hall of Fame, to win trophies, to leave a legacy way beyond any money that you make. Oh, okay. Then why did you want $20 million a year? Why did you want to be the highest paid player in all of football? See, now that he's not achieving the goal that he put out there, he's got to find a way to, to refocus. And, and that's fine. I, I have no problem with the aspiration to win trophies and be in the Hall of Fame. But he also had an aspiration to make $20 million a year, and that didn't work out. And he had an aspiration to be the highest paid player in football, and that didn't work out. And if we go new money to new money, if we go apples to apples, $30 million per year for Matt Ryan to $18 million per year for OBJ on new money, what is that, 60%? Is that 60%? Is it 75%? 18 30 You know, I'm curious now. This makes for very compelling programming while I'm pulling out my calculator. 30 divided by 18 is 1.6. So what would it be? 18 divided by 30. Let me try that. You never thought there would be math here. Now I got Dave Softy Mahler texting me while I try to do this. Hey, Softy, leave me alone. 62.5%. I, did I say 75? My math sucks. All right, so anyway, he got 62.5% of what Matt Ryan got. Long way to go to be the highest paid player in football. That was never happening. And the Giants knew it wasn't happening. And what ultimately happened was they put enough money on the table that at the end of the day, Beckham was not going to say no to it because of the injury risk. That's the key. Once he breaks his leg last year, that injury risk was something he was desperate to foist onto the Giants. And he did to the tune of $65 million. I still don't like the contract from the standpoint of what this guy could have gotten. What he could have gotten is way more than sixteen four per year on a six-year deal. And 16-4 on a six-year deal, my God, he's tied up for six years. He's going to be 31 when this deal ends. He's going to be upset with this deal. 
Did people learn nothing from the Julio Jones example? It's the exact same thing. Big contract, six years. The first half pays out a lot of money. The second half doesn't. Oh, he's getting $60 million over three years. Good for you, Odell Beckham Jr. The problem is you're not getting $60 million over the final three years. You're getting $38 million over the final three years, and you're going to be pissed when year four rolls around. And maybe you'll talk about holding out, but you know what? The Giants know you won't because you didn't when you should have. And people get mad at me sometimes. They get mad at me for all sorts of reasons. I really don't give a shit. But they get mad at me because I'll say, well, you know, people should hold out. They're violating their contract. Look, I'm going to continue to say this until people realize. And, you know, for as long as there's going to be the Bill Polian and get off my lawn types out there saying that players are breaking their contracts by holding out, the reality is there are two contracts at play. The contract between the player and his team and the broader overarching contract known as a collective bargaining agreement that gives players rights. And under the CBA, a player has the right to withhold services. Once he shows up, if he shows up and walks away, he has a right to do that. Now, the remedies are potentially potent and you can be shut down for the whole year and get nothing this year and have your contract just kick forward by a year. And if there's a team that really wants to send a message, that's a hell of a message to send. But if you don't show up, if you hold out, you've got rights. And you know, the team has a right to enforce significant fines per day in training camp. And if you're in the fifth-year option, you can be fined a game check for each preseason game you miss. Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald are dealing with that now. But you have rights. They're not violating their contracts. They're not. They are honoring the terms of the broader contract that governs the relationship between all players and the league. This contract thing between team and it's a fiction right it's a way to determine how much a guy's going to get paid and how long a team's going to be allowed to squat on a player with no requirement that they honor their end of it unless money's guaranteed that's why guaranteed money is so critical that's why if the deal isn't going to be guaranteed shorter term is better because if we get to the year four of the Odell Beckham Jr. deal and the Giants think he's not earning that money after they pay the first three years at 60 they just tear it up and they make him a free agent. So why not set it up to a free agent anyway? But they never were going to get him, give him 60 over three. He would have had to take less. But isn't, isn't that better? Give me a three-year deal. But here's the problem. The Giants had no real incentive to do a three-year deal. Because if the Giants are only going to have him for three years, the Giants look at it and say, we'll just pay you the $8.459 million this year, franchise tag next year, franchise tag the year after, and we have an annual opportunity where we can say, this guy's not worth it anymore. So why would they do a three-year deal? Why would they trade in the ability to control him one year at a time for three years for a three-year contract? It doesn't work that way. Now, I don't know how hard his agent tried to get only a three-year deal or only a four-year deal or only a five-year deal. The bottom line is he did a six-year deal. And that's why I've made the argument Sammy Watkins actually has a better deal because three years, 48 versus six years, 98. Give me the three years, 48. Give me the three years and the chance to go back to the market because three years from now, salary cap will be higher. Market will be higher. Three years from now, only 28 as opposed to 31. And Watkins, this, this is going to be an interesting slow play. Where will Watkins be three years from now? After three years with Patrick Mahomes, three years with Tyree Kill, three years with Travis Kelsey and Kareem Hunt. What happens for Sammy Watkins when he hits the market again in three years? And let's add the first three years of his next deal, or just the three years of his next deal, if he does another short-term deal. Let's put the two together and see who makes more over six years. Now there's a chance that Beckham gets an extension before we get to the end of it, but there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. The only guarantee for Beckham is $41 million at signing and $65 million total guarantee with injury. That's it. There's no guarantee they're going to give him a new contract three years from now. There's no guarantee they're going to say, well, we feel badly for you that you signed a contract that you shouldn't have signed. Odell, you're a big boy. You had, you had leverage. You could have gone year to year. You could have held out and forced us to pay you more. You could have done all sorts of things. You took a deal that pays 98 over 6, which paid 60 over 3, which pays 38 over 3, and you're now on the back end, and we lived with it on the front end. You live with it on the back end. Andrew Luck has been dealing with a foot injury. He'll be there Monday, ready to go for next week, Frank Reich, the head coach, said. Look, 
This gets back to my broader concern with Andrew Luck. I'm glad that he's healthy. I'm glad that his shoulder is fine. But the guy plays with a style that is going to get him hurt again. So one year it's going to be his shoulder. Then it's going to be a foot. Then it's going to be a knee. Then it's going to be a rib. Then it's going to be this. Then it's going to be that. Because the guy, and I admire the courage, but I don't really respect the lack of awareness necessary. And this is a smart guy. You got to know how to color within the lines. You got to know how to play this game in a way that helps you avoid taking contact. And we've said that over the years about so many quarterbacks. Right now, Andrew Luck is the guy that I think fans need to be the most concerned about because just because he's at 100%, it's just a matter of time until he's not at 100%. And oh, look, he's not at 100%, and they hope that he will be by next Monday. Meanwhile, he's going to miss a week of practice as he gets ready for his first regular season game since January 1 of 2017 and that's not good for him it's not good for the Indianapolis Colts I see that the Cowboys don't plan to sign a veteran backup quarterback even though Rush Cooper sucked the other night wait it's Cooper Rush there's this class of backup quarterbacks out there where you could change the first name in the back and the last name and you could go back and forth and it you don't know who's who Rush Cooper Cooper Rush I've used that last year. I'm using it again. Kellen Moore. More Kellen. Doesn't really work with him. He's the guy that got booted. He's the quarterback's coach now, I believe, in Dallas. And they're not planning to add a veteran. Why are they not planning to add a veteran? Could it be that that there's one veteran out there that if they're willing to add a veteran, it only makes sense that he'd be the veteran they add, and they don't want to come out and admit that they don't want to add that veteran because – of his stance on the national anthem. I know people quit talking about Colin Kaepernick. Look, Peter King and I had this conversation today on PFT live about what it's going to take to solve the anthem controversy because the union and the league had another session on Monday in an effort to try to come up with anthem policy 3.0 quick summary anthem policy 1.0 worked well for the players because the NFL inadvertently gave players the right to protest and then deliberately Reaffirmed that right on multiple occasions since Colin Kaepernick was first spotted sitting during the national anthem, possibly two years ago to the day. The NFL then clumsily came up with anthem policy 2.0, which opened the door for the grievance that the union filed that has now made it difficult for the NFL to go forward with anthem policy 2.0 because there's a little issue with the fact that they didn't bargain with the union before they finalized it. And now the union, recognizing that it has real leverage here, has decided to dig in and to take its time and to not agree to anything. Because why should they? They have the leverage. And I suggested maybe this is the time to do a new CBA. Maybe that's the best way for the NFL to get what they want. Because I don't think the NFL can admit that they got all of this wrong that they've made mistake after mistake after mistake by giving up something significant to the players to get an agreement that all players will stand. And it doesn't take much to tie the hands of the entire rank and file. Now, it could create a separate issue for the union, and there could still be players who protest, but there's nothing the players or the union can do about it if the union agrees that all players will stand. But why would the union give that up without a significant concession in return? And that's where this all sits right now. I don't know how I made it down this rabbit hole, but the point that I remember now, the point that I made this morning and the point that I feel strongly about is that the players who are pushing the ongoing protest angle, they are miffed at the fact that Colin Kaepernick and now Eric Reed have been blackballed by the NFL. And I don't know that blackball is the right term. I don't know that blackball was ever the right term because blackball allows one team, one member to keep a guy out. This is just a collective, whether it's coincidental or coordinated, shunning of Kaepernick and now Reed. And until those guys are unshunned, it's going to be very hard to work all this out. And here's another example. Even though we've gotten to the point where we realize Kaepernick's never going to be back in the NFL, it'd be a shock at this point if he is. Here's another team. Boy, we're not going to add a veteran quarterback. Well, why? Because uh, if we do... Uh, whoever we sign uh, isn't going to be all that good. And the guy who is good, uh, nobody wants to sign. That's just one of the things going on today. One of the issues that has popped up since we wrapped PFT Live, John Mara, the Giants co-owner, told reporters that the joint practices with the Lions 
convinced the Giants that it was time. Oh, thank you, New York Giants, that venerable franchise that likes to peer down its nose at every other franchise in the NFL, including the one it shares a stadium with. Thank you for finally realizing that Odo Beckham Jr. deserved a new contract. The guy's been in the league for four years. The guy broke his leg last year. The guy's been a dominant presence. The guy never got paid what he should have gotten paid. He's earned it, and he had to wait until his fifth season, joint practices with the Lions, to convince them that the time has come for this young man to receive the money that he deserves. Get out of here with that crap. All due respect. 18-game schedule, that's not going away. And it's just a matter of time before we have 18 games, right? The problem is, this is another one that the league is not going to have an easy way through this minefield because they want 18 games, the players don't. And the best leverage in any situation like that, like somebody wants to buy your house, right? And this happens every once in a while. Somebody come knock on your door. Hey, I'd like to buy your house. I really like your house. How much you want for it? Well, I don't want to sell it. Ah, come on. $100,000. Come on. That's a good deal. I'll give you $100,000. I'm sorry. I'm not interested. Come back another week later. All right. I'll give you $150,000 for your house. Come on. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't want it. But yeah, you paid $50,000 for it. Why do you want it? Oh, I, I don't care. I don't want it. I don't want your money. I want my house. And it goes and it goes and it goes until you make the guy an offer he can't refuse. That that happens from time to time. And now, if you got a $50,000 house and somebody's offering you $150,000, i would say at some point you take the money. But, you know, for the players right now, whatever the NFL has put out there, and I don't know how formal the discussions have been, but it's not enough to get the players to say, I'll take it. And when Jerry Jones breaks ranks, as he tends to do, and comes out and talks about it being worth a billion for the players to add two regular season games, that works out to about six hundred grand per player. Unless they expand the roster, then it's less. But at six hundred grand per player versus thirty-one million and change per team, I could see how the the players would be like, "Nah, that's not good enough. We don't want six hundred thousand per player. You're getting a lot more. We want more. We share everything else." For the extra that's going to come in for those two extra games, we want a higher percentage. We want 75. Make it 80. Make it whatever. But see, the thing is, because they're being coy about it, because they don't want extra games, the NFL has to ask itself, how much more does it want to offer? And how many times is it going to come back for something that the players have shown no inclination to accept? What's it take to make an offer they can't refuse? And that's why... I continue to be a firm believer that the best outcome here for everyone may be this concept of 18 regular season games, but a maximum of 16 per player. And I remember the first time I heard that idea, I thought, that's never going to happen. That's just stupid. It's goofy. It's, it's, it creates unwanted complications for coaches and general managers and teams. And you're, you're, you're you know, one of the things you're figuring out while you're going down the stretch for the final month of the season, and you're trying to figure out all the tiebreakers. Well, you know, we still have three starters that haven't missed a game yet. What are we going to do here? When are we going to sit the left tackle? When are we going to sit the defensive tackle? When are we going to sit the middle linebacker? That's, that's something that I think would create undue stress for the fan and the franchise. But if the players simply won't agree to play more than 16 games, this is the way to resolve it. You go 18 with a limit of 16. Now, look, I think some players will still say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Most players don't play 16 anyway because they get injured. So what's going to happen now is we're going to miss two games that we would have missed anyway due to injury, and we're going to play 16 instead of 14 on the back end. And I think that's true for a lot of players, and they shouldn't allow themselves to get duped into thinking it's it's that simple. It's still 16. Hey, you're only playing 16 now. You only play 16 then. Well, well no. It's only up to 16 now. It's still going to be up to 16. And the thing is, for every game we miss under this new environment, we still may play 16. We miss games due to injury under the current environment. We miss one, it's 15. Two, it's 14. You can figure it out from there. But that may be the only way to get the players to do it. It may be hard to get the, the fans to buy in. But again, the first time I heard it, I didn't like it. The more I think about it, the more I like it. I don't know how I feel about 18 regular season games, but you know what? How I feel doesn't matter. The NFL wants it. They want it for one very big reason. They think they can make a hell of a lot more money with two extra regular season weekends. They thought that before gambling. You throw the gambling revenue on top of everything else they can do by way of TV sales and tickets and concessions and everything else, 
whatever they're going to make off of gambling, that just makes it even more. That just makes it even bigger. That makes it even more enticing for the league to push and push and push. And I think it's coming as part of the next CBA discussions. And you know what? I agree with Peter King, deadline spur action in the NFL, but there's a very real urgency to get this anthem policy done. Wouldn't it be great if we don't have a year in, what would it be, after the 2020 season, into 2021, this off-season of work stoppages and back-and-forth negotiations and this extended process that just hovered over the sport for 100-plus days until it got down to the time where everyone realized we need to work out this contract, and they worked it out. I think if they really wanted to, they could work something out quickly. I think they could. The question is getting both sides on the same page. And I think the NFL, there may be some urgency there if it means getting the anthem policy fixed. The problem is, how do you get all that done with a season going on? This is something that should have been handled in the offseason. And another example of the lack of foresight by the NFL, maybe as soon as the last season ended, they should have said to the players, we're ready to negotiate an extension to the CBA. We're ready to make real concessions. We're ready to solve this anthem policy. We're ready to come up with a way to get 18 games in the regular season. We all benefit from these things. Let's find a way to benefit together and let's work this out before the next season starts. And the next season starts in nine days. So even though that may be the best way to handle it, that's probably not going to happen. All right. I've prattled on for a half hour here. Let's see what questions we have today. I have not previously reviewed any of these, which makes it a little terrifying for me at times. Maybe entertaining for you as I try to wade through my own word salad to come up with something comprehensible. How about this quick check of the poll that I posted last night about the 18-game regular season? I'm shocked by these results. Nearly 30,000 votes. 59% yes, 41% no on an 18-game regular season. That surprises me. Now, I think it's influenced by the fact that football season is coming and that People are more inclined to say, give me more of anything. Give me 18, give me 20, give me 30. I want football, I want football, I want football. Anything but preseason, right? We're right at the end of people getting preseason exhaustion. And I kind of got there myself, even before week three. Once we get to week three, when it's supposed to be the dress rehearsals, and all of a sudden these starters aren't playing in week three, it's like, just end the preseason and let's let's get on to the regular season so that may be influencing some people but bottom line we've done these polls at various times over the past few years and i can't recall an 18 point spread like this in favor of an 18 game regular season so look the nfl will use that data point to think even more strongly they're on the right track and the question becomes what can they do to get the players to go along and 18 and 16 remember those two numbers i used the picture of ryan Leaf holding his 16 jersey and Peyton Manning holding his 18 to reinforce that image and those numbers. 18-16, those are the two key numbers to keep in mind as this process moves forward. We'll be back with more PFTPM after this quick break. Hey friends, Paul and Andrew here from the Leisure and We're here with Heidi King, Deputy Administrator for the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA. They're working hard to change habits and save lives. You know, Heidi, we hear a lot about drunk driving, but with so many states legalizing marijuana use, tell us about the problem of driving while drug impaired. Sure. People need to understand that impairment is impairment, whether the drug is legally prescribed or illegal. Driving while drug impaired poses a serious threat. Is the problem getting worse? Yes. Marijuana use among drivers killed in crashes doubled from 2007 to 2015. In NHTSA's roadside survey conducted in 2013 to 2014, 20% of the sampled weekend nighttime drivers in traffic tested positive for potentially impairing drugs. Thank you, Heidi. For more information about the Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over and the new If You Feel Different, You Drive Different campaigns, visit nitsagovernor slash drive sober. That's N-H-T-S-A dot gov slash drive sober. All right, I have found my tweet that contains the question the call for questions with the i think that's batman from it's not family guy although adam west was a character in family guy this is batman from that looks like simpsons and that is simpsons animation anyway i find a batman gif when i call for questions and i'm just buying time until it pops up here we go pftpm posse i was demoing cloud software so i'm late Less life story and more questions, PFTPM Posse. 
But won't vets be cautious of the 18 games, only 16 played, because those one to two games could be what costs them their job when a younger player performs? Similar to how the rookie wage scale will give veterans more money turned out to not be true. So it's more opportunities for a young guy to prove that maybe he's a better alternative to the established veteran. I kind of like the thinking there, right? Because when the starter is forced artificially off the field and the backup comes in and they say the following day, hey, you know, I watched the film and Ricky there did a pretty good job. Maybe we don't need the expensive guy. Let's cut him loose and let's go with the young guy and make him the starter. It is more opportunities for the younger guy to play, develop, and ultimately to prove to ownership and management that maybe he's the better guy. And if he's operating under one of those rookie wage scale contracts that don't pay all that much money relative to what the star players make, that could be another reason, another opportunity, another path toward telling an older, more expensive player your services are no longer needed. Great question, PFTPM Posse. Another one, that devil is mine, has a question. Have you ever been legitimately upset at Sims slash stats on air and had to bite your tongue? No, because I have been legitimately upset with them in the past, and I've told them. It's not shtick. I'm not big into that. Let's pretend we're fighting about something because embrace debate. If I'm pissed off at them, they'll know that I'm pissed off at them. Now, sometimes I'll admit that I let myself get worked up a little bit more than maybe really I am deep down because I think it may be good radio or good TV, that it isn't always absolutely exactly how I feel. There is a little stickishness to it, but I try to make it organic. And I just kind of go with it. It's like, you know, if you're hanging around with your friends and you're busting each other's chops, like, Sometimes you like uh, Goodfellas when, you know, you're a funny guy, funny how, and they go back and forth. I mean, Tommy didn't really mean all that, but it was great. It was fun. So every once in a while that happens. But I, I don't want to make a habit out of it. I'm not doing it just for the sake of doing it. But there are times where I'm legitimately pissed. Like when Tommy shot Spider, he was legitimately pissed. He wasn't faking it when he shot Spider and killed him because Spider told him to go himself. So, yeah, sometimes I am Tommy shooting Spider. I got mad at stats last week. Because st stats, before they fixed the helmet rule, although officially they have not fixed the helmet rule, but when they fixed the helmet rule before that, I was kind of worked up about what this thing was going to be. I thought it was going to undermine the sport. I thought it was going to drive viewers away. It was going to make people upset. It was going to make harder for the broadcasters to put on a presentation of a game that is coherent and enjoyable for the fans. And I felt like stats was just pushing back just to be contrarian. And I remember one morning on the radio side, that first hour, he really pissed me off. I was pissed. And he knows I'm really pissed when if I give him a hard time on the air and we go to break, if he hears nothing from me for the entire break, it's usually a sign that I'm actually pissed. I, that's happened more than me being pissed at Chris Sims. One of the great aspects of Chris Sims' personality is it is very hard to get pissed off at him. Even as he's giving you the middle finger, he's doing it with a smile on his face. And even as he's busting your chops, like yesterday when he was doing that, man, you look tired routine on the air. And I was tired. I'd slept three hours, and it had been a long weekend. So thank you very much for pointing out that I look like crap, Chris Sims. Even then, it was hard to get upset with him because there's just something that's just kind of playful and non-threatening about Chris Sims. So I've rarely gotten mad at him. But if I do, I am not afraid to let him know. Brady asks, is it just me or does Stefan Diggs appear streets ahead of Adam Thielen in terms of chemistry with Kirk Cousins? I Look, there was that one great drive against Denver, and I don't know what the starting offense in Minnesota has done since then that causes anyone to say, wow, hey, boy, this uh, Stephon Diggs is really going to stand out in relation to Thielen. Maybe Cousins knows what he has with, with Thielen, and he's forcing it a little more with Diggs to try to get to the same point. Because the thing about Thielen, he's going to run very precise routes. He's going to be where he needs to be, and a guy like Kirk Cousins is going to really appreciate that. So let's wait until the regular season begins before we come to the conclusion. Because you know maybe this is all a little bit of of an effort by the Vikings and offensive coordinator John DeFilippo to push some of the coverage toward Diggs for week one when the 49ers come to town and maybe away from Adam Thielen. And then lo and behold, like Rocky switching to Southpaw, it's going to be Thielen this, Thielen that, Thielen, Thielen, Thielen all the way down the field. All right, let's see what else we have going on here. And there's a back and forth between the real Forno and Brady over this issue. Thank you guys for cluttering up the timeline while I try to find the next question. Reverend Markworth, you need to tease 
Sims about his love for the Bengals, a girl band from the 80s, instead of the Bengals, the team of the AFC North. Thank you, Pastor Mark Worth. I tell them that all the time. And it's not just Sims. It's stats, too. They call them the Bengals. And I need to bring that up a day when we have Peter King on the show, because if I recall correctly, the first team he ever covered was the Bengals, not the Bengals. And I have a feeling that Peter King would be as miffed as I am that neither guy understands it's an E, not an A, after the B in the name of the team. The Real Forno, some of us were talking about creating a Discord for the PFTPM Posse. Discord is elaborate. It's an elaborate chat room to talk about whatever you want. Is that something you would be down for? I never even heard of a Discord. Is that like Reddit? I still don't know what Reddit is. Does that make me lame? That's okay. I am lame. Do whatever you want. Maybe I'll come by. Maybe I won't. We'll see. Brady says, is there any chance we can ever get team-specific announcers anywhere besides radio? I love Bob Sochi. Is it Sochi? Sochi calls of the Patriots games. I think. I mean, look, here's, what, here's how it works. The teams don't sell their broadcast rights. The league sells the broadcast rights, and the broadcasters hire the people who do the games. And I guess, in theory, you could have... But, but it doesn't work. What do you, because what are you going to do? You're going to have Fox or CBS swoop in and hire Paul Allen away from the Vikings radio network to only do Vikings games? And, and here's the thing. Part of the appeal of the radio guys is they are homers. They are cheerleaders. They are excitable for the team they cover. It's Gus Johnson if Gus Johnson were employed by a team. So I don't think any of these guys are going to translate as well when they have to be neutral. And if you're doing a broadcast, uh, an objective broadcast you've got to try to be neutral because even if you're not neutral they're going to be mad at you for seeming like you're a fan of one of the teams and that's always one of the defaults for any ardent fan college or pro always on the lookout for any sign that the announcers are for one team and against the other team and more accurately they don't care if you're for their team, they get pissed if they think you're against their team and that becomes a thing and Chris Collinsworth tells a story all the time that you know, early in his career as a broadcaster, everywhere he'd go, someone would say, why do you hate the Giants? Why do you hate the Raiders? Why do you hate this team? Why do you hate that team? And he eventually would be accused of hating every team. And, and he got to the point where his response was, anytime someone asked him, I just do. Because really, you're never going to win that argument. Well, I don't hate your team. I'm just being objective. And I could say, oh, baloney, you hate our team because you said this, 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 and this, and you're just wrong about that. So it happens. And, and I think that, it would diminish these radio voices that we like in part because of how ardent and zealous they are in support of the team that pays them to broadcast those teams' games. Alexander Sandoval, with all these injuries to the players this preseason, example, Marquise Lee, can the players use this to ask for more guaranteed money in contracts since these teams are making a lot of money? Well, look, there's always going to be injuries in the preseason. There's always going to be. And... It's just part of the gig. You put guys out there for games that count or don't count, but they look like they count. They look like real games. The injuries do count. The games don't, the injuries do. And every player has the right to negotiate veteran-wise. You know, you're locked in to your rookie deal, and you're stuck with where you're drafted. But when it's time to get to your second contract, you can negotiate injury guarantees, and sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Now, they changed the CBA in 2011 where even if you don't have injury guarantees – you get all of your money for the current year if you have a season-ending injury. And I think if it's the last year of your contract, or there's some device. I'd have to look it up and, and confirm how it works. But you can get money beyond the current year. If they, if, you know, they keep you on the roster, you still get paid even if you can't play. If they cut you or if it was the last year of your contract, there's a way to still get some money in the event that you still can't pass a physical in the year after the year when you have the injury. But... That, that's just part of the reality of the NFL. There are serious injury risks, and there's only so much you can do by way of contractual protection. Ultimately, I think it behooves every player to get some sort of a policy that protects them against the financial impact of a career-ending injury. Career-limiting injury, loss of value, those are tougher policies because they cost a lot more, and good luck convincing the insurance company to happily pay you when you claim well, I should have made $10 million more on my next contract than I did. They're going to fight you on that because ultimately, and look, I'm not trying to slander the insurance industry here, but 
I had enough exposure to it when I practiced law to know how it works from both sides. When your commodity is money, right? You take money in, you pay money out. That's your business. You want to take all the money in, you don't want to pay any money out. And you're going to look for any legitimate way you can to avoid paying money out. Because if you have business practices that result in you being too nice to your policyholders, too nice to your insured, you're going to go out of business. Or you're not going to make as much in your business as you can. So career-ending injury, I think it's worth it. Just ask your Michael Finley who ended up with $10 million because he had a career-ending neck injury. So that, that's part of what you can do to protect yourself. It's a nasty business. I know it pays well. It provides a lot of fame and notoriety. But you only have a limited number of years that you can play, and you always have that looming threat of a serious injury. And you get that serious injury, and it could end up having a serious impact on your overall earning potential. Let's see what else we have here. Another one from Alexander Sandoval, how far are the NFL players from getting better contracts all the way around instead of just the high-end players? Look, I mean, it's, it's part of having a salary cap. And the salary cap is driven by the CBA. There's only so much money available. It's basically a year-to-year -year proposition. Unless you're a great player, you have to earn your money every year because there's not going to be any real guarantee beyond this year. Now, the better players, they can get a two-year guarantee. The best players can get a three-year guarantee. For the most part, you're earning your money one year at a time, one season at a time, and in some cases, one game at a time. Another one from Alexander Sandoval. Do you think the teams can push for more than 53-man roster spots? I think it's less about the teams. It's more about the union, more jobs, right? I think the teams, a lot of teams wouldn't complain about having more than 53 on the roster. Some people think that 53 should be allowed to dress on game day instead of 46. But if they ever do expand the regular season, I think that expanded rosters will be part of it, even if they do 18 and 16. So I think expanded rosters are coming. And I think it's more something that's going to be driven by the union, not the teams, because ultimately it's going to cost the teams more money to have more employees. At the C.J. Newman, has the puppy eaten anything it wasn't supposed to eat yet? Here's what the puppy did today. I'm not aware of the puppy eating anything that the puppy wasn't supposed to eat, but I was working down in the basement, and we have this big, giant like vase thing that's got these dried I don't know what they are they I guess they were once real they're like these long branch things that there's something on the I don't know what it, it's it it was like that when I got here right it's always been in the spot next to um a cabinet that's by a tv in this little tv area in our basement that's kind of carved out from the main basement it's the best I can explain it and the puppy has been going over and chewing on one of these pieces that sprouts up out of this vase. It's a big vase that sits on the floor. So I was working today, and I heard the sound that made me think someone was carrying five or six dishes and dropped them all and broke them at the same time. And I looked up, and I saw the puppy scurrying away from that TV area, and I walked over, and I guess the puppy had been a little too aggressive yanking one of those one of those things that sticks up out of the vase, knocked the whole thing over, and it busted into a bunch of pieces. So we may try to go Bionic Man and fix it. I've got all the pieces gathered. It's kind of like the plate that Walter White busted when he when he took the, the, the piece down and stabbed Crazy 8 in the neck. Is that who it was? Was it Crazy 8? Remember that? Like episode 3? So it's kind of like that. You're putting that puzzle back together again. I think we could glue it back together. Be kind of. I think there was a Brady Bunch episode where they tried to do that until the water started sprouting out of the vase. There's no water in this one because the thing's dead. But my thought is this. She's just going to do it again at some point. So we're just delaying the inevitable. So maybe we just get rid of it. The C.J. Newman, what was the game that made you a Vikings fan as a child? I don't remember one specific game. I do remember watching Super Bowl Eight, and I remember before the game, they had like 10 CBS employees who were in a tent, and there was like a front row and a back row, like a team photo, and they, I don't know if they passed a microphone around or they each had a microphone, but they were like, 
I, I like the Dolphins. I like the Vikings. I like the Dolphins. I'll take the Vikings. And they were picking the game. I just have a vision of that. I have a memory of that for whatever reason. I need to see if that's on YouTube somewhere. Maybe I'm just misremembering what happened that day. But I remember watching that game, being a Vikings fan at that age, and just watching the Dolphins systematically dismantle the Vikings and thinking, this really sucks. But, you know, by that point, it was too late. I was... I was a contrarian growing up in Steelers territory. People think I'm a Steelers fan. I was a Steelers fan. I just never was because, you know, you grow up in an area and everyone says, hey, you must be a Steelers fan. Well, what if I don't want to be? You can't make me. In hindsight, maybe I should have been. But, you know, I often wonder whether I would have remained engaged in football and as much a fan of the NFL to pull myself in this direction and to stumble into this business if I didn't have that, that kind of that feeling as a kid that, you know, followed the team through the whole decade and never really got what I wanted. And that that's kind of, that fueled me. And I, and I really have, and people, oh, you're full of crap. I really have become less of a fan over the past 17 years I've been doing this. And I just don't get upset anymore like I did. It was bad. It was bad. When I was a kid, it was bad. When the Vikings lost to the Steelers in Super Bowl nine, it was bad. When they lost to the Cowboys in the Hail Mary game, when Drew Pearson pushed off on Nate Wright, that was, that was the worst. And that wasn't even... A Super Bowl loss. And then the, the Raiders, Super Bowl loss. The Vikings were down near the goal line early, and they screwed it up, and it just all fell apart. And that, that, was, that was bad, too. And it's been a long 42 years now for the Vikings. Um, but, uh, th- you know, I'm kind of glad. If I hadn't gotten into the business, I probably would be as zealous as I had always been. Getting into the business caused that all to really, really dramatically subside. And maybe that's good. Because 2009 NFC Championship game, my son, that was the moment the hook was set for him because he resisted. Because, you know, dad, this was dad's team. Well, I want my own team. Well, his own team became dad's old team in 2009. And then he was not happy about the Eagles game this year. I, I found myself, and I guess that's the only good news. I, I'm a lot more, let me phrase this differently. I'm a lot less unpleasant to be around when the Vikings lose, and specifically when they lose in the postseason, than I ever used to be. One more from the C.J. Newman. Who was your favorite wrestler growing up? I I used to love, as politically incorrect as it would be now, I remember Chief J. Strongbow and Billy Whitewolf, the tag team combination. And Chief J. Strongbow would come out in a headdress, and Billy White Wolf would be in the ring and he would be getting the crap beat out of him and he would struggle with every ounce of his being over to the corner. And as he approached the corner, he would find a way to harness the energy to reach out with his hand in a desperate attempt to just barely touch fingertips with his colleague, Chief Jay. And the moment that Billy White Wolf was able to extend far enough to bridge that gap, all hell broke loose. And Jay Strongbow would come into the, and, you know, do that, again, politically incorrect rain dance or whatever it was. And, man, I'll tell you, there was something about that that was just electric. And I remember my dad used to take me to wrestling when they built a civic center. They call it the Civic Center. Holds like six, 7,000 people maybe. They built that place, so they started with the pro wrestling stops when I was 13, 14, 15, and we'd go to it. And I, when I, was, I, I don't know at what age I finally gave in to the idea that it's all fake. I didn't want to buy that it was fake. I wanted to convince myself that when grown men fought each other, they stomped on the ground every time they threw a punch. Remember that ridiculousness? But he'd be like, oh, it's all fake, it's all fake. And I'd be like, it's not fake, it's real. But I knew deep down it was fake. And then at some point, they just embraced it was all fake. I don't know. I, I, uh, the real Forno wants to know what my thoughts are on pro wrestling. Do I like it? Do I think it's a joke? Just don't care. I'm at the point where I just don't care. And I know it's a big business. And every day I go to the NBC Sports Studios in Stanford, Connecticut, you can see the WWE facility. I, it's right there. I just, I just don't care. I don't get it. But I tell you what, a lot of people do get it. A lot of people are into it, and it's making a ton of money. But uh, I don't know. I, I just my son was never into it. He never went through a phase where he was into it. And uh, but I, yeah, there was a time in the '70s, 
Chief J Strongbone, Billy Whitewolf. And I remember I remember really liking Jimmy Superfly Snooker. That was like the this this larger than life figure with the long hair who would jump up on the get up on the top of the the the, the, the turnbuckle and and you know do the kill the kill shot when he would dive on the guy. I liked that. I liked Macho Man Savage. My my the, my one burning airport memory, that indelible memory, and I think I've mentioned this before on the show. I was walking through the Pittsburgh airport in the mid-80s, and I saw Randy Macho Man Savage wearing jeans, some sort of a tank top, a weightlifting belt, and no shoes or socks walking through the airport. And I was just kind of dumbfounded by the whole thing. It seemed normal to me because it seemed completely in character for Randy Macho Man Savage and, and, and Miss Elizabeth in, in tow. He was in a hurry for something. I don't know. Maybe he was trying to find the guy that had his shoes and socks. I don't know why he was wearing a weightlifting belt, but he was. I'll never forget that. Some days I wish I I would forget that. Terry Gensler, who has the potential to be the highest profile cut down day victim. You know, I people get mad at me for suggesting that the Broncos may be done with Demarius Thomas, but with Cortland Sutton looking the part, Cortland Sutton a lot cheaper. Deshaun Hamilton is the other rookie receiver they drafted. Demarius Thomas, eight and a half million. Demarius Thomas has had a couple of down years. Demarius Thomas stayed in the tunnel for the anthem. We know how John Elway feels about the anthem. We know how the Broncos feel about the anthem. They decided last year no anthem protests as a team. I remember it was a year ago when the whispers started to emerge of T.J. Ward being available in trade. And I, and I, what was it? Well, t- teams are calling the Broncos about a trade for T.J. Ward. That was, I think that was an Ian Rappaport report. And it's like, no, Ian, they're calling teams. They're using you here. They're lying to you about them getting calls because they want someone to give them something of value for T.J. Ward. They're desperate to unload this guy, and then lo and behold, what did they do? They cut him. That's one I'm keeping an eye on. Just because I, I, I got a weird – I try to you know, discern the patterns. And we've seen this before with the Broncos. And is Demarius Thomas a guy that is on his last legs with the Broncos? He's got $8.5 million this year, and he's got more coming up uh, next year. By the way, there's a three-year extension, $45 million for Carlos Dunlap and the Cincinnati Bengals. I should probably wrap it right here then so I can tweet that. It's pr- it may already be out there. I don't know. And you don't know either because you don't know when you're watching this or listening to it in relation to what the news of the day is and what else is going on. Let me just see if there's any other great question here to answer. I appreciate your time. It's about an hour. And uh, I don't know who's going to get the short straw in Stanford, Connecticut, to figure out which of any of this is worth clipping off and putting on the website. All I know is it's not me. We'll do this again later in the week. Mark Leibovich on Friday. We'll try to do another interview or two between now and then. Sorry we weren't able to do it Monday. Sorry I wasn't able to do it Friday. Thank you for your time. Chris Sims tomorrow on PFT Live. It's his birthday, so be nice and tune in. Have a great day. We'll talk on Wednesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.